0: Welcome to the We Are SC Podcast. This is Eric McKinney, uh, joined by Greg Katz. Greg, we're we're done with spring ball. Get get a chance to uh, to look back on it a little bit, and then we'll hit kind of a, a variety of topics with, with some guys uh, coming into USC, some guys going out of USC. We'll talk a little transfer portal uh, news and and the one time transfer, and, and you know maybe maybe some talk about some Notre Dame billboards uh, as well. But uh, I'm just I'm gonna open it up to you and just kind of I'm curious about your sort of state of the program coming out of spring and and I'm not really talking about you know big picture whole thing where are we with relation to kind of Clay Helton as the head coach and and that sort of stuff but just what did what did spring ball your feeling of of what happened during spring ball do for your expectation going forward and, and just kind of your your sense of the USC program overall
1: Well, I think there were some positives. I think the idea of this culture of uh, being a physical football team, I think the staff was united in that. I don't think it was just talk The talk. I mean, 40 guys got allegedly injured one way or the other, some severely, some not so severely. It doesn't make any difference. Bottom line is you're either going to hit or you're not going to hit. And to be honest with you, I think one of the biggest complaints is they don't hit is like they're trying to save themselves for games but you don't practice in games you practice and practice so i was very pleased that they took the physical approach and that uh, to be quite honest with you i don't think that has been the past uh you know uh, habits of uh, a clay helton team but apparently i think there was enough discussion within the coaching staff that says our number one thing is to change culture and they couldn't do that last spring because of the COVID, and because they didn't really have a spring. So I thought the number one thing they accomplished was a mindset, an attitude, and they backed it up. And I think that's what's important. Well, it'd be very fascinating to see if they can carry it on through training camp, and whether they keep the same physicality, uh, shall we say, uh, direction uh, heading towards the first game with San Jose State. So from that standpoint, I thought it was good. I think From an overall standpoint, I don't know if it told us a lot about the team in general because they're practicing against each other. Uh, I think that uh, probably individually, uh, there was progress made uh, on an individual basis uh, for each position group because you got to first find out who your individuals are. You know, probably a lot of attention was placed toward the offensive line, which was understandable. I mean, last year, if you bring in, bring back all those players from last year's Uh, underwhelming offensive line minus a number one draft pick in Elijah Barrett-Tucker, you want to see about, you know, different mixes and matches. And I think they did accomplish that. I think new uh, offensive line coach uh, uh, Clay McGuire uh, perhaps unfairly scared a lot of people when he didn't really move anybody around from last year's team uh, for the first couple of weeks, but then got into it. And uh, there's some intriguing uh, things that, uh, you know, we can go into later if you want. But overall, uh, I think they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish.
0: I, I agree with that. We got to see these defensive coaches, you know, for all of one no-pads practice last spring. And they really kind of hit the ground running. The intensity level between this defensive staff and, and ones we've seen before, it's it's night and day. This This is a... A college staff. When you talk about Clancy Pendergast being here, he he's an NFL coach. He's he's very low key. Now he can he can light guys up if if you do something wrong, but he's not running all over the field and chasing guys down and and kind of coaching you know every play right in the middle of things. And it was an NFL approach. In the NFL, guys, it, it's more cerebral. Guys don't need to hit in every single practice. They they need to kind of rest up and and take it easy, and they get sort of mentally ready and then they go, you know, full, full go during the games, college, and and these coaches here, they don't know, I don't, I feel like they felt like they didn't know enough about the players, and and they were very open, the only way we can learn about these guys is to actually watch them go full speed, And, and then we can start taking notes, what do we have, you know, now we're not just looking at recruiting uh, stars or, you know, stats that they had put up in in previous years and trying to figure out if the guy can play, this is something where they wanted to see them go full speed. And and that's what you got. It's the first time in a while that I can remember, you know, Clay Helton really saying, we want to do X. And then they did X that there's been a lot of, we want to do this. We want to do this. Then it doesn't happen and then it becomes well we couldn't do that because of you know the these things and and sometimes yeah absolutely there's injuries and and you you're down to a walk on tailback and and a wide receiver that you're trying to use in the backfield no you're you're not going to run for a, a ton of yards when you've got two true freshman offensive linemen who have to plug into a game uh, and and the guys didn't get to work no you're not going to run for for a ton of yards but the mentality of it has not felt like it's been there in the past. And this was kind of the first time that we've seen that again. And and I sort of mentioned that you can bring up a whole conversation, you know, where was this two, three, four, five, six, you know, however many years back uh, that that you want to go. And that, you know, I I think is is a valid question, but for right now, for looking at the spring, I agree with you that there were a lot of positives based on, where you started, how you ended, you know, last year, and and what the feeling was when you're when you lose that game to Oregon, Keen Slovis goes down a, again, he's hurt. You know, you're going to have a huge hole there at left tackle and and right in the middle of the defensive line. That there were some challenges that this program, I think, was going to face. I think they, I think they answered them as best they could. But but I want to kind of set you up here. You you mentioned Clay McGuire who. I'll throw in there as a top five, top three, maybe top one of the most important sort of person in this USC program for the 21 season. How quickly can he figure out that offensive line? But but again, kind of setting setting up for you, what are some specifics that we did not learn from, from spring ball that are kind of keys for you upcoming and, and things that you feel like we really need to get answers to either right before that San Jose state, San Jose state game, or, you know, first quarter early on there in the season.
1: Well, to me, obviously you want to know what the offensive line is going to be. Uh, You know, if, if Clay McGuire, uh, who I think's biggest impact on this team offensively, and I know a lot of people say, Greg, you're out of your, your mind. What have you been doing? Uh, I think his biggest impact is going to be on uh, Graham Harrell, okay? And the reason I say that is because he has an open line as a friendship. They have a history together. Graham Harrell, who I think is very set in his ways, not always in a good way, especially when you look at the Trojans rushing the last two seasons, which has been nothing short of pathetic. Uh, But, it's possible that Maguire could say, look, you got to do this. We we need to do this. I I can't help you if you don't run the ball and you don't run it a certain way. Because in the end, no matter how good the offense physically is or the players are all in the right spots, which is the most important thing, is you want to have the players in the right spots to begin with. Who You know, the, the players are basically string puppets in a way. And, and and Graham Harrell is kind of the uh you know, the puppeteer. But if if they remain doing what they did the last two years, I don't expect the rushing attack to make a big difference. However, I think that McGuire has the ability to not only uh be open minded in rearranging the offensive line, uh one of the positions I, I think that caught my attention was the possibility and I and I don't care one way or the other but the possibility of a guy like, let's say uh, right tackle, uh, you know, Jalen McKenzie losing his spot and maybe moving over to right guard that, that, you know, at this point, it's like, we already know what you can do Jalen and we've got to see where you best fit in. And if it isn't at right tackle, it is it right guard? Uh, also the idea of Andrew Voorhees, maybe he's a left tackle, and maybe Cortland Ford's a left guard the, the fact that they're mix, mixing and matching, uh, is a sense of boldness that they're, they're willing to try that. I think, def, you know, that's the number one thing on offense to me is what are they going to do in that area? Now, defensively, uh, I think they're in pretty good shape, uh, if they can find a secondary that's cohesive. Uh, I know that we're all looking at Talanoa, uh, who fungus spot and who's going to take that. And is it going to be, uh, moving uh, Palomao over or is, uh, you know, Xavier and Alfred are going to be the guy. I mean, those are questions, but I think the overall character of the, of the defense, plus those defensive coaches have been together. They're in unison. Uh, if anything, they're going to have as big impact on the offense because I think their way of doing things is, I don't know. Pressuring is the right word, but uh, insisting that the offense get up, get up to speed uh In physicality, I don't know if you can do that in the air raid, to be honest with you, but the bottom line is I think they're pushing the envelope for physicality on both sides of the ball. So that was kind of my overall take of uh, uh, pros and and cons of of what happened on offense and defense.
0: I'm with you about McGuire, and that's why I put him so high if we're making a list of kind of most important uh, figures, you know, players or coaches in this program. It, It was you know, you you go back to listening to Tim Drevno talk about this offense early on, and, and he was, I don't know if he was playing it up at all or or anything like that, but he was pretty open about, you know, hey, I'm I'm trying to learn this, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get this down. It's a it's a big difference when you have an offensive line coach who knows it as well as Clay McGuire knows it and is confident in what he knows. And that's I think exactly what you're hitting on. I don't think he is going to hesitate at all. Hey, we need to do this. Hey, this would be a better look for us. This is going to help out my guys up here. And and for when an offensive line coach knows that, and he can kind of go to bat for his group in how an offense runs. I think that's a big thing. I I think these guys are, they're okay. I I don't think you have, you know, five first round draft picks all along the offensive line. It's not the worst group in the Pac twelve. I mean, not, not not by a long shot. And so when you're looking at, and not just you know the total number of yards, I get it, if, if you're not trying to run the ball a lot, the total yards are, are gonna be down, but just the average yards of carry, the, the number of times that guys just got into the backfield untouched, the, the number of times running backs would take the ball and maybe be able to plant one foot before they're trying to avoid contact. Those things just they they can't happen again. They can't happen that often, and so that's where I think I think McGuire can really come in. I, I think he will have answers, at least suggestions on how on how to best you know attack that and and figure that out. The other thing you mentioned too is boy, when spring ball started, you had two weeks, three weeks of seeing the same guys. Cortland Ford was there at left tackle. Andrew Voorhees at left guard, Brett Nealon at center, Liam Jimmins at, at right guard, Jalen McKenzie at right tackle. You can set your watch by it. We heard all offseason coming into spring ball. We're going to shift these guys around. We're going to move them. We're going to take looks. We're going to do all kinds of things. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. And, and the feeling going into that spring game was, I think we're seeing the offensive line that this is going to be what it is. Those last couple of weeks, I honestly feel like they they moved it enough, they looked enough, and and the uptick in sort of how the running game went and and kind of the, the confidence level I think uh, of the running backs and and what the offensive line was playing with got to the point where I I again I I would think that there are some real questions on where these guys line up. I, I would have bet anything at halfway through spring ball. Hey, we've got our our starting offensive line. Uh, at this point, yeah, it's, I don't know, even money maybe on, on Jonah Monheim starting at, right tackle. Then you figure out is, is Jalen McKenzie or, or Liam Jimmins there at, at right guard? Uh, is Jonah Monheim better at, at, on the left side? Is Andrew Voorhees, you know, that all of those looks, I think are, are really interesting. I think the summer, uh, how these guys kind of go through summer conditioning and, and get themselves ready for fall camp what looked like it was going to be just kind of by the book, everybody slide into your spot. I think now all of a sudden summer is going to be really interesting. And the one thing I will say coming out of spring, and maybe this shifts into some of the the talk of, of some additions coming in, these coaches, again, it's one of those things you hear. a lot of talk about competition. We want to have competition. We want to have competition. I don't know if that always happened to the level that, you know, when a, when a Pete Carroll's here or a, a Nick Saban in Alabama and, and you see, you know, they'll they'll put true freshmen out there. They'll flip guys around. They'll bring guys, you know, in and out as, as uh, they're playing well or, or playing poorly. This step, it sure feels like they want to put some pressure on these guys, adding guys out of the transfer portal. Again, shifting guys around, letting guys play, pushing them uh, really hard. That's something that I also took from a spring ball. And and I think that that's a, another positive for the program.
1: Well, you know, there's nothing more important than credibility when you're a coach. The players have to believe in what you say. For example, if you say there's competition, nobody's going to know better than the players if there really is competition. Nobody's going to know better if Eric McKinney is better than Greg Katz. But Greg Katz is starting because Greg Katz is a favorite of the particular uh, coach uh, that's coaching him, or the head coach, for that matter. And if there's really going to be true competition, it has to be that the players are sold, that if I am the best guy, everybody on the team will know it, okay? Everybody will know it. Now, to give you a little example, you touched on something, Tim Drevno. Now, Tim Drevno uh, took some heat. I would even go as far as to say he was a scapegoat. Uh, He got fired. But think about this. You just fired a guy that in two consecutive years had first-round draft picks. You had a team of two first-round draft picks in 2019 that was playing on the left side of that offensive line together. Austin Jackson at left tackle, Elijah Tucker at left guard. And you still came in 10th in rushing. So from my perspective, that isn't a talent problem. That's a systematic coaching philosophy problem. You have running backs on this year's SC team, the 2021, that are could, could start at most Pac-12 schools. There's, Let me tell our listeners, there is nothing wrong with the USC running backs. Okay? And then you have the addition, of course, Keontae Ingram and uh, Brandon uh, Campbell, who I think will redshirt. But the running backs are fine. Uh, you know, but when you look at it in an overall perspective, a guy like Tim Drevno, uh, probably to uh, his credit, and in fact, I heard him say it to me one time, this is new to me, uh, we're going to see about how much Tim Drevno and and McGuire change the, the, the look. If there's going to be a change of look, it's going to be a change of philosophy uh, or pressure on Graham harrell to put more emphasis on the running tack and take some of the ideas, whether they be lead draws or misdirection plays from McGuire and incorporate that. And we'll see. I think it's a fascinating thing. Uh, One thing we know the USC offense uh, passing wise would be fine, but if they want to keep the team honest and they don't want to see guys dropping eight guys back, like most of the PAC 12 teams do, except for, uh washington state for for some reason decide to go man to man which still is like beyond me i don't get it but they but they uh you know for the most part if they have a running attack it's really going to help uh, keith and slopus it it'll help them health wise confidence wise and let's face it you you really want to rely on any quarterback throwing the ball 50 60 times uh so it's all it's all going to be interesting to see what happens in the games. We know what happens in practice. We know what they're trying to do. But when it gets down to the game, is it a case of can a leopard change its spots? We're going to find out.
0: Yeah, I mean you you talked about throwing it 50 60 times a game, even 45, you know, times a game, 40 45. You start doing the math on okay so that's forty times a game. Every every time you're dropping back to pass, there's five offensive linemen that need to be perfect. And you take that over a, a twelve game season, thirteen if you have a bowl game. That is a large number of times that you are asking offensive linemen to be perfect. When again you have a defense that can pin its ears back and and come at you if you know it's a if it's a pass, you know all the time that that doesn't really have to respect the run and so that becomes yeah you you know you you got to get Keaton some some help one thing that I thought was interesting and it's something where you know when when we're at practice uh we can't get into kind of specifics of strategy or formations or, or things like that but uh it's always so it's always interesting when Clay Helton does mention something that that you can kind of extrapolate out of and and get some strategy and and one of the things that he did say late was that they were able to add some new stuff offensively defensively and he specifically mentioned sort of doing some different things with the running backs that running back group to me is interesting and I I know we've talked before and that's kind of your uh, position battle I, I think that that you had sort of talked about as being a really interesting one to watch but there there's a good group there and i think you can do more with them than you've done in the past and uh so so that's kind of what i wanted to get into next if you want to touch on the running backs or if you want to go to a different thing the position group uh again coming out of spring spring ball in in the review mirror looking forward to the season position group that you're still kind of most interested to see how it shakes out
1: well you know, we, we've talked about the offensive line. I think the most interesting one to me is the defensive line. Okay. Because there's going to be a lot of young players. Uh, you know, you, you, you have a potential superstar in Tule, Tule Peloto. Uh You have veterans like Nick Figueroa coming back, right? But I'm fascinated by the young down lineman, Jay Tohia, uh Jamar Sakona, And most of all, I think the most intriguing one, of course, because he's a transfer from Alabama, is Ishmael Sopshire. Uh, you know, to me, it's fascinating to see how much these guys can dominate in a game if they can dominate. One of the problems with the air raid offense is that's not what you're traditionally going to see in games. Okay. It's a, I hate to say it, and I probably get flogged severely for saying it, it's a gimmick offenses, offense for the likes of a Washington State, uh, those, that level type of school that cannot recruit at the same level as as USC should. USC should be in the upper, upper echelon with Alabama, Texas, Ohio State uh, in recruiting top players. And most of the air raid offenses are geared yeah. that, hey, we can't get the linemen, um, so we go to a passing game, so we can be competitive to try to neutralize. And, uh, you know, it, it's mind-blowing to me that SC can never have a above average to great offensive line year in year out being in Southern California. Now they have missed, they have missed out on some of the premier offensive linemen in Southern California. No question about it. They lost one to UCLA. I think it was, it was his name was Sean Ryan. Sean Ryan. Yeah. They lost out on him. They've lost out on some guys from that went to Oregon,
0: and in the that, in the West region as well. Not you know the the Utah Kid King Kings are going up to Oregon and, yeah, and Graham right. Walden in Arizona. Yeah, missed definitely missed on some West Coast talent, West Region
1: talent, right? Uh, but you know when you have to practice against uh, a finesse offense, are you really getting set to go against the Notre Dame's of the world, the Ohio States, even Oregon plays Smashmouth football. Uh, So, you know, that's a real problem. But I will say this, that I think because of the attitude of the coaches, this go out and hit somebody, run and hit is so heavily emphasized uh, that I think they'll be okay, uh, but it may take an adjustment. And they're going to find out an adjustment in a hurry, not when they play San Jose State, which I think will be physical, but when they face a true, this is what we do, Stanford team, uh, that'll give them a lot of experience i'm i'm also curious on defense to see the continued progress of Drake Jackson. I thought at times last year he was he was guarding grass uh that you know was he really attacking off the edge or was he just dropping back into pass coverage and kind of just looking around so I think this probably even though he was limited this spring, I think his experience level is such that he's going to uh, probably be a larger factor when he plays in the games.
0: Yeah, I do think the the comment on the air raid is is interesting. There, there's so many different versions of the air raid now. It's kind of become synonymous with spread. And I think that your point is the, air, the, the Mike Leach air raid that you try to install at Washington State and at Mississippi State, it's exactly like you said. It's because when you're at Washington State, you can't out-recruit Washington or really almost anybody else in the Pac-12. And when you're at Mississippi State, you're not out-recruiting, I don't know, 11 SEC teams, maybe more than that. So I think that you can run the air raid as long as there's a great running game to go with it. And and at this point, the definition of, you know, what's an air raid and and what's a spread and all that kind of stuff, it's all kind of – kind of shifting and and uh you know evolving to be sort of the same thing where it's it's if the quarterback is taking shotgun snaps and you're not in an I formation anymore. But no, your point is exactly right. You you can't run an offense that is specifically designed to say we can't match up against you when you're at USC. It, it, it just can't be that can't be a hundred percent of it. I understand if your idea is, hey, our wide receivers are better than your cornerbacks but you're not gonna you're not gonna take over a game by trying to throw you know fades and slants on the outside all the time you're, you're just you know like I mentioned the number of times that that makes all of your offensive linemen have to be perfect or else your quarterback is going to take a helmet under their chin it, it's it's too much pressure uh, on the offensive line to do that and it's it's one of those things where we talk about it a lot the idea of when you're late in the third quarter and going to the fourth quarter and they haven't really had to do anything physically to kind of, you know, keep themselves in a game where they're able to just kind of lean on you and, and lean on you a little bit. Again, that, that's kind of not fair to your team asking them to, to keep that up. And so that is something where the run game, I, I get it. You don't need to run for 250 yards a game. That That's not something that anybody, I think, is is saying. You have to do that to win. Uh, you can't be struggling to get to 100, struggling to get to 120. I mean, that that's sort of just bottom line, you know, if you want to play winning football, you've, you've got to find more uh, in the offensive line. And so, again, for us, that that's going to be interesting. I think your point about the defensive line is great. There's so many pieces there. And, and now losing Brandon Peely for the year, what happens there in the middle I think, again, you've got some signs that it could get fixed with, with what Jay Toya did and with with what Jamar Sakona did. There isn't a guarantee in there, though. And so figuring out that position defensively is probably the the number one goal uh, of fall camp, figuring yourself out inside. You, you know, you're going to add Rajon Davis. You're going to add Corey Foreman. Sierra Wright, Profit Brown, like there there are some big time freshmen coming in to help fill some gaps uh, in positions that were pretty thin uh, during spring ball cornerback, certainly being one of them. And then obviously adding Corey Foreman up there. You like the pieces, I think, that you have defensively and and maybe there's a a transfer portal linebacker, you know, in in the future to help you out at that position, too. But I I think defensively, you're okay. Offensively, that's going to be, you know. I think, I think the question for us, the question for a lot of people, how that gets worked out.
1: Well, it's going to be a point of emphasis. Uh, you could say the point of emphasis on defense is find somebody and knock their helmet off, okay? That's the point of emphasis uh, within the system that they run. The I think something you mentioned on, which I think is very important, is the idea of the air raid, the pure air raid would be like you said, Mike Leach, okay? But Alabama runs a form of the air raid mo ever I mean if you're going to spread it you might you want to call it the air raid but I I, I it kills me to say this but look what Alabama does look what uh, Notre Dame does look what Ohio State does look what Clemson does they don't Oklahoma's lose running game,
0: game. When, when they are when they're going
1: definitely 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 these teams have taken the principles of, let's say, a spread or air raid, incorporated them into the principles of a power running attack. I mean, let's face it. Najee Harris was probably the best running back in the country. Okay? He, to me, reminded me a little bit of Sam Cunningham uh, for for the oldies but goodies out there when he came out of Santa Barbara High School and he ran at tailback for, for a little bit of time at USC before they moved to fullback but here you got a guy like Najee Harris in your own backyard what in the world would you do with Najee Harris if you actually if he actually had come to USC and I was there and I think so were you uh on some of those some of those uh spring practice days uh a couple of years ago uh before covid and I remember he was on the field he was walking around and I go what a specimen okay uh and I'm saying to myself how can USC lose or not even be in the picture, really, with the Najee Harris. Uh, you know, California has great running backs that come out. But you know what? Are these running backs going to come to USC if they're not going to run the football or they're not going to run it effectively? It's like a bad domino theory. Same thing with the offensive linemen. Somewhere, somehow, it has to be said, we have got to be more balanced. And I'm going to tell you, I know we're not really talking about Clay Helton all that much. This falls back on Helton. He is still – does the assistant coaches tell the head coach what to do? That's really what it gets down to. And maybe the assistant coaches are giving him proper direction. I hope so. But the truth of the matter is uh, it's up to Clay Helton to say, you know what, guys, we need to be able to pound the football. And to do that, we have to be able to go recruit guys that can run like Najee Harris we got to get linemen that that can block for him. And as you said, which I think is really important, you got to protect your quarterback. You know, if I'm a defensive line coach going against USC, I tell my guys, "Look, it, you got 45 to 60 times theoretically, and one of you four guys uh, or one of you guys that's a linebacker, you just have to. It's like terrorists. You only have to be right once." And uh, we know by the history of Keith and Slovis uh, and JT Daniels, uh, you only have to get to that quarterback one time and you can ring him up, which will not only maybe keep him in the game, but put such a f- sense of fear in their helmet that they can't concentrate downfield when they're worried about which guy's going to get to me this time. So it's, it's a real uh, challenge to, uh, to protect the quarterback.
0: Yeah, and and having to do it without Elijah Vera Tucker. And I think, um, you know, that left tackle spot is, is going to be really fascinating here. Right? And so after all that talk about kind of running game and, and offensive line, I want to hit a, a little bit. USC so far has commitments uh, out of the transfer portal from two pass catchers, and that's Taj Washington from Memphis and Malcolm Epps uh, from Texas. Washington is kind of a, a speedy little receiver Uh, And then Malcolm Epps is a a big, uh, you know, six foot five, six foot six, kind of two hundred and fifty pound, a tight end out of high school, moved to outside receiver at Texas, uh, and then moved back to tight end. So he's going to be that sort of hybrid thing. And and I mentioned Washington being kind of a little guy. He's you know not little at at five eleven, but he's not that six three, you know, big time outside receiver. And so now you've got those two. Uh, you know kind of pass first guys uh, and then they're added to Katie Nixon who came out of the transfer portal. You've got a couple high school receivers coming in. Michael Jackson was uh, a new guy coming in uh, and early enrollee this spring. So a lot of new faces out there as, as patch pass catchers, but I want to, I want to open this up a little bit more about just the idea of bringing guys in through the transfer portal And it's kind of a a two-question thing because both of these guys went to high school in Texas. Talking about Taj Washington and and Malcolm Epps, and now you've got Keontae Ingram, who's come over. Katie Nixon came from Colorado, but he went to high school in Texas. Uh, Xavier Alford is is a Texas guy, Texas guy, high school in Texas, and went to Texas for a year. Obviously, this all comes from the number of uh, coaches, assistant coaches on the team with Texas ties and and Craig Nivar and and Todd Orlando being just there recently. And Mike Jenks kind of tipped his cap to to both of them for being able to help reel in Keontae Ingram there as a, as a running back, your thoughts on on the number of Texas guys coming in uh, to the program and, and being involved and, and clearly kind of making that not, not necessarily a priority over recruiting Southern California, but, Clearly, the idea to to bring in guys that that are from Texas or or that you have that uh, relationship with, having played there, is a big thing right now for USC.
1: Well, that is a loaded question, a loaded discussion. But I had this same discussion the other night on the Harvey Hyde show, and he kind of presented the same scenario, and uh, my comments will be the same as I I, I told Coach Hyde. You know. I personally don't care who they bring them in, where they bring them in, as long as they can play. If they can play, that's fine with me. If they all come from Texas, on a theoretically basis, okay, and they can take SC to a Pac-12 title or a national championship run, great. But that being said, there comes a price to pay with it. And first of all, why is a guy in the transfer portal to begin with? Okay, uh, now if you are, uh, let's say, a frontline player who wants an uh, extra year to play to show the NFL scouts that I can play, uh, you know that's a positive. Am I a transfer from the University of Texas? And let's just, I mean, it's out there. I mean, Epps, you know, six five two thirty. Why is he coming to USC, or for that matter, why is he leaving Texas if he's a player that's you know, who admittedly says I didn't do certain things I should have done. I could have been better. I could have, should have, well, maybe a change in scenery is fine, but you know, here's the thing. Eight out of 10 coaches, including Clay Helton, are from the state of Texas. Epps said in an article that I read that one of the selling points for him was Keontae Ingram, who is a Texan. Okay. Uh, said it's really cool here. Uh, you know, a lot of the coaches are from Texas. You know, I feel uh, it's kind of like a, a security blanket. And F said, I talked with Ingram. He, he told me I should go where I want to go, but he said, it's really cool out here. So, you know, the point is, is there is a security blanket for Texas players to come here. You know, some joke, it's now the University of Southern California, at Austin. Okay. Uh, and one of the problems you have is you have players on your team currently are watching players transferring in now wide receiver i understand the offense sc runs you always want to have enough wide receivers because theoretically you use a lot of wide receivers and right wide receivers can get hurt you know slant patterns you know you get some some head hunting safety can you know can knock your helmet from here to eternity so you want to have enough guys but if i'm some of the southern california players and I'm watching. Okay, well, I thought I was going to be the guy, and they're bringing in these other guys. What are they telling me? Why are they doing this? And so there, there could be uh, as more Texas players come, uh, less of a sense that you're going to help the team as kind of a you Texas guys and us Southern California guys, and you know the Texas coaches are they going to lean toward Texas players because? They got you know it could create a just a really untetherable situation if it's not handled carefully and properly, plus you also have to take into account and this is really important what the local high schools in Southern California are watching a lot of these coaches were weaned on Pete Carroll they were weaned on uh John Robinson, not too many anymore, except for maybe a Bruce Rawlinson at modern day uh, at, at you know for uh John McKay, but they're looking at what kind of relationship are they having with the U with USC assistant coaches from Texas? Are, are they, do they feel that their players that they are sending to USC are getting a fair shot? You know, it can get the more Texans that come, the more scrutiny is going to come. And it really has to be handled very, very carefully. In my opinion.
0: I think ultimately that your first point is Really good, and, and kind of covers the rest uh, of what you're saying is uh, the idea of, of sort of fair competition. And, and if it's something that makes your team better, you go do it, right? If you're you're not in the business of well, we need we need to play X number of guys from the Trinity League, and, and we need to play X number of guys from California. You're you're in the business of, of winning pac twelve championships and, and national championships, and so I agree. If, if there's a guy out there that makes you better, you go get him. And, and I say that because you look at that at that 2021 recruiting class in California, and USC got nine out of, out of the top, you know, 19 guys in the state, including Corey Foreman. If you're swinging at Texas, and Corey Foreman is getting ready to suit up at Clemson, and Ray John Davis is getting ready to suit up at LSU that's not the right formula. You you, you got to figure that, that out. You got to change that. But if these coaches are able, you know, to go get a commitment from Damani Jackson and be in it with a lot of these, you know, 2020 Southern California guys uh, and, and sign the players that they did. I, I mean, you look at kind of what Jackson Dart, right. Has done so far. If USC had said, no, we're only going to recruit Southern California players. And, and I know that this is not what, what you're saying, but uh, you, you got to go get those, those national guys and, and Texas produces a lot of players. So I understand kind of going out and doing that as long as like you're saying, no one here, you know, modern day Bosco Trinity league all the way up and down the coast in, in California, out into Arizona and Utah up into Washington, as long as everybody understands Hey, these guys are are getting a fair shot because it's it's not as if Oregon is just recruiting Oregon or Washington is just recruiting Washington. I mean, in in the Pac-12, you need to go supplement your roster. You you need to go out of the area. I, I think USC could have a pretty good team if they only recruited the West Region. You're not winning a national championship with if you only recruit here. So you you do have to go out and get those guys. And so ultimately I see that as a positive. If you can, if you have inroads to Texas, go get guys that, that you feel like are going to make you better, but, and and echoing what you said, it had better be seen as kind of a, a straight up process once they get there and you're sort of putting together that competition of who plays and, and how do you figure that out? Uh, I will say, and and this is kind of going into the the second question I wanted for you I. Uh, you better figure out the transfer portal because that thing is here to stay. And if all that happens is what we've already seen happen, which is that, uh, the, the one, the first time transfer rule going into effect where all players, uh, their first time transfer, they don't have to sit out a season. And it is what. Clay Helton referred to as free agency, which, which is kind of what this whole thing is, you know, what's happening here. Uh, you better figure out how to get guys from somewhere because guys are going to leave your program. Guys are going to leave other programs. Uh, and when the carousel stops, you need to have, you know, somewhere around 85 really good scholarship players to to use. I am curious I think, your take on, on kind of the the transfer portal because this is again something that, that we've talked about sort of in the past and, and I know you've got some thoughts about sort of what is coming uh with, with all of that.
1: Well, I think it's the worst thing that could happen to college sports. Um I have no problem with players transferring. Uh you know, I mean students transfer. I mean you could tra- you could be a student at uh you know, Cal State, LA, and all of a sudden say, you know, I think I want to be at SC. Transfer in, nobody cares, right? People are coming, keep people are going. But in the competitive world, which is so ultimately competitive at the college level, especially the D1 level, uh, you know, once the players and their minions and their little club team supporters figure out a system where, you know it's kind of like, okay, I'll sign out of college for the Rams uh, because I kind of have to, but my big paycheck will be after my first three years in the NFL. Then I'll put myself for free agency and see what happens. Now, if you have a player, let's say that's that's at a low-level D1 school, and I saw this already, I think with Alabama, who thinks I can play at that high level because I've proven myself at the lower level, you know, that's uh, you know, that's kind of a move up. I proved myself like in the minor leagues and now I can play at the I think I can play at the majors. Jabril the Cox Mace-
0: did this, right? The linebacker from North Dakota State and, and went to yeah. LSU. That that's kind of one of those situations.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So here's the deal. Take a look at what's happened in high school with players transferring all over the place. You know, one of the reasons they couldn't was because Uh, the CIF which is the governing body in California said you can't do that and then of course the envelope got pushed and then schools at parochial schools could hire lawyers and and I talked with the commissioner of CIF many times uh, and they don't want to litigate all this stuff so they would go out of business so they just said okay you know as long as the kid's in school and he's going academically I mean some kids we look at look at modern day I mean Uh, I'm not pointing them out in a negative thing, Uh, but they got, how many transfers do they get? Okay. Really Brown shows
0: up, you know, shows up at modern day. Yeah. It's, it's uh, certainly tilting the power there. Bosco and, and modern day is where guys end up now.
1: Yeah. And, and I don't blame them and I don't blame the schools. I don't blame. I think modern day does a fantastic job of taking great players and developing them and, and as a team, I mean, Bruce Rollinson's a legend. He deserves it. All I'm saying is when the – well, take a look at the one running back at Modern Day a couple years ago. The guy plays his whole football season there, and after football season, he transfers back to his school. I don't know, Rancho Cucamonga was – I think it was a running back. Uh, yeah, a couple of them. Yeah, and I go, well, is that what we're really all about now? But I think that once the players figure out the transfer portal and once the coaches – at the collegiate level say the transfer portal is going to be just as important as recruiting. And we got to recruit against, uh, it's almost like you're putting the transfer portal against who you're recruiting. Because like you said, there's 86 players, 89 players. You're not going to make them all happy. And a guy who's a second string player may not say, unless he's at an Alabama or an LSU or wherever they, they're they're Ohio state, you know, they're going to say, okay. I'm not playing. My shot at the NFL is I'm wasting here. I can't be second string for the next three years. And so they immediately say, I'm out of here. And then they're eligible. That's the point. Now think about this. The pack- just the one
0: time, right? So so once you make that, then you can play right away. If, you, if you're going to transfer again after that, it goes back to the, the old rules of, of sitting out of year.
1: Correct. Correct. But just think about this now. Why did SC not have a depth chart after this season? Why at the spring? Why did they not do it? They might have had other reasons in the past, but if you come out with a depth chart, and Eric McKenney says, "I'm not second string. I'm out of here." Exactly what I would say. Time. By the way, I would, I would. Well, I know you would, but so would I. Uh, but you know, here's the here's the point. I could be starting at right tackle for you for or, or behind at USC one season, the next season, and I'm starting at UCLA, and it's it's just that. I mean, the Pac-12 is going to pass the national rule that says you got a one-time free transfer. You're How many players are going to transfer within the Pac-12? I mean, think about it. What's the possibility? And it's not how bad it is today. It's what it's going to be about three years from now when everyone's got their system, when everyone's figured it out. And where is that going to leave coaches? Even the good ones, the great ones, the legendary ones. Uh, Nick Saban said, we'll figure out a system to make it better for Alabama. And I'm sure he will. Absolutely. He will. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the bigger schools
0: are, are going to figure this out. And and what we just talked about with modern day and, and Bosco, once you kind of prove, Hey, we know how to do this. You just sit back and, and collect guys coming in. And, and I think the schools, uh, you know, the, the bigger, more successful schools you're going to be able to do that okay we've we've got a hole at left guard oh let's just sc- scour the country and find you know a first team freshman all-american left guard uh, at, at some smaller school here we go here's your spot to start at Alabama now uh, I mean I, I think that the shift is going to come very quickly where we're going to start looking at programs recruiting more out of the transfer portal than from the high school ranks. I mean, it, it's to the point now where you're probably, you know, a school like USC. Yes. You need to go get a Corey for You need to go get a Ray John Davis, but there might only be, you know, eight to 10 guys locally that you say, Hey, we need those players. Let's go get them. And then let's go get a redshirt freshman from somewhere else. Someone whose body has developed a little bit, Uh, you know, a true sophomore who's played a year. And and now we have film on that, especially for offensive linemen. When you're looking at an offensive lineman and you're trying to guess with his high school tape, say he goes to a small high school and has not played against great competition, do we want to project that or do we want to go get a kid that we've seen play a year or play two years, and, and we know that he's talented. There, boy, I, I think that you you get this kind of ladder effect to where a lot more recruits are going to have to go maybe to to lower tier schools with that idea, right? Hey, I'll I'll be here for a year. I'll be here for two years, and then I'll figure out you know where I want to end up. And, and I think that is an interesting thing where it gets to a, a situation where. If you're Alabama, if you're USC, if you're a, a big school, are you better off coming in second on a kid for recruiting? So he goes and uses his red shirt year somewhere, gets disgruntled, then you recruit him out of the transfer portal, and then you've got him because if he leaves your school, he's got to go sit out a year. I, I think there's so many things, and I, I hesitate to run to hyperbole immediately. And you know, here's how things are going to get ruined, and, and here's how – uh, you know, th- this is going to be the worst thing ever. But the that kind of idea exists. And I do think on the surface, the idea of let's help out the kids find the best spot for them. And, and we don't want to punish them. A-, a coach can go to another program and start coaching immediately. Like you said, if there's a student who transfers, they, they don't have to sit out a year, they can start taking classes immediately. The concern I have is that when Nick Saban says we're going to find the way to make this the best for Alabama, he's talking about for Nick Saban and Alabama. I don't I don't think he's necessarily saying, oh, I want to I want to be do right by the kids and and I want to make sure that that they're okay." I I'm just hopeful that the players sort of have a a real understanding of what's going on before they just jump in and, and try to figure it out, because that whole idea of you know, the grass isn't always greener and and that sort of thing. We've already seen just a ton of players stuck in the transfer portal thinking I'm, you know, I'm a backup here. I'm going to go start somewhere else. And turns out there, there aren't places to go start somewhere else because those schools have have their eye on, on a different player. So I I think kind of, you know, like you, like you alluded to the chaos there, we could see it for a while. Um, and you you'd better be a pretty strong program to be able to get through it.
1: Here's the here's the potential before I forget. Two two items. Many of these players are used to transferring from high in high school from one sure. high school to another. So this would be just, oh, I can do the same thing I did in high school. I'll start here and then I'll transfer to here. And the biggest point now and we saw this in basketball is once high school football started organizing spring and summer and seven on seven leagues. And you have these guys who think they're advisors that they're going to almost be agents uh, as well as coaching these traveling teams. They're going to sit there. And this is a key point. I believe. Those guys will be the intermediaries for their player who says, I'm really unhappy at, at university a, well, that intermediary could contact, you know, University B and say, you know, I got my 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 guy is not happy over at University A. What is there a spot for him at your place? Well, now you've got like an agent, and you've got instead of tampering between two schools directly, they go through the they go through the agent. I saw this in basketball all the time, and what you see a lot of times in basketball and how it's affected basketball is directly going to happen in football. Remember, they used to say, well, only basketball has summer traveling teams well now football's got them and the same guys a lot of the great uh former players are the heads of some of these programs now the good guys who are really interested in the players but a lot of guys are saying you know what i i like it when coach saban calls my house and he says what can you do for me you know well i'll, I'll talk to our player about your program i mean it's just it's it's already there and it's been there but now it's really there and it's going to be something that I don't know what the NCAA can do, whether they've just unleashed Pandora's box.
0: I mean, I, I love the idea of, hey, we're going to do this to clean this up and to bring it all, you know, above board and, and put it all on the table. And it's just like, well, that's that's just not going to happen. I mean, that, you know, like, like you said, you find different ways. You find other ways around it. And, and yeah, I, you know, I'm sure there are players that put their name in the transfer portal that have not talked to other schools and really have no idea where they're going to end up. I, I, you know, I would say pretty confidently that the other side of that coin is, is true too, where uh, someone has a a pretty good idea or, or a guarantee kind of where they're heading by the time they get into the, into the transfer portal. So, but that, that's going to be fascinating to watch. I don't, I don't think USC is done uh, with the transfer portal this off season. And it's something where, even with that date, you know, the, the uh, sort of drop dead date on you, ha- you have to tell, you know, your program that of your intentions to transfer by a certain date uh, that that's going to be a full-time position for, I think, a lot of programs that are just working a, a you know, I don't want to call it a, a scheme, but a plan. How do we bring guys out of the transfer portal? Because yeah, five, Four, five, six, seven guys a year. I, I don't think that is out of the question and, and maybe more for a lot of programs. We saw one program that I think took all 25 guys out of the trend, you know, a whole recruiting class. So I think this is, we've seen so many guys move in and out. I, I think we're still kind of tip of the iceberg with, with what we might see in terms of transfers and, and having to work that transfer portal for programs.
1: You know, I I just think I read I can't remember if it was Alabama or it was um, LSU, but they have a specific person that every day monitors the NCAA transfer portal. A I think it's times. like every thirty minutes
0: they refresh it. They're they're gonna have to bring that down yeah, to every yeah, thirty minutes. Exactly. I think.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Amazing.
0: Yeah it'll Absolutely. it'll be it will be fascinating to see how that. Uh, how that changes things to to what degree and and what it does sort of to the the power balance in, in college football. I mean, you know, college football is heavily weighted towards the the halves already. Uh, it, it'll be kind of interesting if this sort of speeds up. Maybe that idea of of the Power Fives kind of splitting off into their into their own group. Um, a lot of questions, and there's a lot of coaches that are still. Kind of hands up and and trying to figure this thing out, and, and that's not where college coaches usually are. Usually, they have a a very good idea of how to tilt things a little bit to, toward them and to help their program. And so that's Eric. Gonna-
1: Eric could, you, could you see a day when when a college coach says, "Look, I don't think you're ready to play with us today, but if you go to a this school A and prove yourself, we'll take you in the future." Could you see that happening? I I couldn't not see it happening. I, I'd be. I,
0: it doesn't strike me as something that a lot of coaches would jump into right now and do that. Put you know try to stash someone at at another program in in order to to get them back at some point. Uh, I don't think there's sort of any rock that a college coach wouldn't turn over and at least inspect a little bit to see you know if if that's something. Uh, if that's something that that they could eventually do. I, I do think that players, for the most part, again, this is kind of just sort of superficial looking at this. I think a lot of them would take that as a little bit more of a slight and, and, you know, would ultimately, you know, look somewhere else. I'm not good enough to play there, Uh that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, that idea of a coach figuring out a way Hey, I, you know, I know this coach at Illinois state or, or wherever it's, it's going to be. I think you'd be a really good fit there. And then in a couple of years calling him back, Hey, you remember me, we've got a spot for you. So, so I can see, you know, kind of a way of of tiptoeing around that idea. Uh But yeah, you know, like, like I mentioned the idea of missing out a guy, you go all in for him, the guy, you know, he calls you, Hey coach, I, you know, it's not going to work out. Thanks so much. And, and you know, Craig Nivar has, has talked about it too. Recruiting is just a, a full-time thing and, and we've seen, you know, there, there's a certain time where you have to stop talking to them, you know, once they get there and, and uh, you know, paperwork signed and there there are rules about, you know, who you can talk to and that sort of thing. But when a guy commits to another school, you keep going because that's a relationship you built and you just don't know where it's going to end up. And I think these USC coaches are, are pretty good about that and pretty in tune to the benefits that you can reap sort of down the road where, yeah, guy's not on your roster now, but looking at this, the, <laughs> there's no telling uh, if he's going to be there or, or not in the next, I don't know, two years, eight months, four weeks, that that kind of thing. And, and so uh, you do what you can to build relationships and, and to keep that stuff going. And, and again, there's, it's getting more and more likely that, that you can benefit from that down the road
1: amen to that.
0: Yeah. So we'll see where that goes, but uh, that that's kind of our look at spring ball and, and some off the field stuff. And we will, uh, we'll be back kind of with the summer update as, as things keep sort of unfolding for the USC program. So uh, for Greg Katz, this is Eric McKinney. Thank you for listening to the We Are SC podcast.